Well, I'm going to welcome you here, especially if you're visiting for the very first time. Welcome to all of you over in the venue. Thank you, Jared, for leading worship over there. And we know that we have people literally all over the world that watch online, and so we're grateful that you're with us, or maybe you're listening on the radio. Blessings to you. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Revelation chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, all of the verses, or most of them will be in your notes, it will be on the jumbotrons. Um, but um, before I, I get into this, um, nothing says party like a whole bunch of blue portable toilets. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Did you guys see those when you drove on the campus? I mean, that just screams party. That just says we're going to have a, a good time uh, out, out there. Um, and I, well, I am looking forward to it. Our small group is going to be all gathered up out there. And, and here's the deal. Come out, even if you, you can't stay long. There's something uh, special when the family gathers together in a moment like that. It's, it's kind of like this. Um, you know, um, um, a time like this is when we as a family come together and together in unity, we're, we're all singing the same songs. Together in unity, we're all looking at the, the same passages from the Word of God. Together in unity as a family, we're, we're all kind of on the same page. Now, you know, in, in an hour, we're all going to leave here, and throughout the week, you're going to hear different songs, and you're going to read different scriptures and different Bible studies you'll be involved in, and we'll all be doing all kinds of different things. But at this moment, together as a family, we've come, and in unison, we're saying, God, we love you, through the music, through the preaching and all that. And that's kind of what happens out at, a, at an old church picnic. We just come together. As a family, so come out whether it's for you know 30 minutes, an hour, or or, or whatever. We're we're gonna have a just a, a great time out there. Uh, last week we prayed for all of those uh, that were involved in education. If you were a teacher at a public school or a private school, our school, you were a, a homeschool teacher, whatever. And today, if you own a business. Uh, maybe it's just you, just, just you're the lone employee, you and your spouse. Maybe you have one, 10, 50, 100 employees. It doesn't matter. You're the owner of a business. Would you, would you just stand up right now? I just want to pray for you. Over in the venue, go ahead and stand. If you own a business, okay? Quite a few. Last night, man, just unbelievable how many people stood up. Father, thank you for these folks that are here. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your favor on each of them. Give them the wisdom that they need to um, operate their businesses in a God-honoring way. Give them the wisdom that they need to know how to navigate through all of the government red tape and regulations and all those kinds of things. Lord, I pray that they would be able to expand their businesses and hire more people, Lord. Blessings on each of them. And I pray this in your name, amen. Amen, you can go ahead and grab a seat. Let, let, let me just say this real quickly to those of you that, that just stood. If this is your church, okay, you're a family member here at Big Valley Grace or you name the name of Jesus Christ, make sure you operate your business in a God-honoring way. Just because you own the business doesn't mean that you get to throw this book out. You treat people the way you'd want to be treated. Your employees. You know, just because you own the business, just because you're the big shot, that doesn't mean that you get to take the principles of God's word and say, I'm going to put them over here. You, you, you honor the Lord in how you treat your employees, the people that you deal with, your suppliers, whoever those folks uh, may be. Remember, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ. You bear his name. And blessings on, on all of you. Well, uh, in the book of Revelations, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus writes uh, seven different letters. These were personal letters that he writes to seven different churches. These were uh, first century churches that were located throughout Asia Minor, which is basically where modern day Turkey is. And as I told you throughout the weeks, these letters were kind of like a, a progress report. 
The first letter was written to the church at Ephesus. This was a, a busy church. They had become so busy doing good things, holy things, righteous things, that they had lost their first love for Jesus. The second letter was written to the church at Smyrna. This was the, the suffering church. This was a group of people that were suffering greatly for their beliefs in, in Jesus. The third church was written to the church at Pergamum. This was the confused church. They had become confused as to what truth was. The fourth letter was written to the church at Thyatira. This was a, a tolerant church. This was a group of people that began to tolerate all kinds of sinful things. And then last week, we looked at part one of the fifth letter. The fifth letter was written to the church at Sardis. This was a, a dying church. This was a group of people that forgot to feed their souls, if you will. And today, we're going to look at part two. But first, let's read uh, the letter. Okay, Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 1, or look at the jumbotrons. To the angel of the church at Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus says, I, I know your deeds. I know that you have a good reputation of, of, of being alive, but you're dead. And if you were here last week, I shared with you that I believe that the pastor or the elder or whoever that church leader was, they had gathered much like we are. It was probably in a home and it was a smaller gathering, but a gathering like this nonetheless. And he had this letter that the Holy Spirit had, had uh, impressed upon John to pin this letter from Jesus. And I'm sure at that moment, as the pastor or the elder of that church was reading this letter, I know your deeds. I know that you have a reputation of being alive. That's right. But you're dead. I think at that moment, the air just was sucked out of the room. That's a pretty brutal statement. One of the things that I love to talk about most, if you've been here more than you know, a few weeks, is I love to talk about the love of God. There's just not another topic that I love to tell people about. It, it just gives me great joy to talk about how much God loves us, loves you, loves me. It, it is my favorite topic to speak on is the love of God. The Bible reveals how much he loves us in so many ways throughout the, the Bible. But there are these moments when this loving God kind of punches you right between the solar plexus. You're dead. That's a, that's a harsh statement. You're dead. You're dying. And sometimes we as believers, we need to hear that. We need, we need to have somebody grab us by the lapels, hit us in the solar plexus, give us a, a kidney punch to, to wake us up. We, we, we can get so goofed up in our lives that, man, we, 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 need, to, we, we need that, whoa, splash of cold water on the face that just kind of wakes you up. Sometimes we need it in our relationships with our spouses, right, and our, our children. It's easy to look at someone's life and say, wow, they got a great marriage, don't they? They even have a reputation of having a great marriage. And the reality is it's dead. The marriage is dead. <laughs> a few weeks go by and you hear about a divorce or whatever, and you go, whoa, what, what happened? What happened was nobody showed up and solar plexed, you know, the husband or the wife and said, man, you're dead, man. You're dead. And sometimes for change to occur, you got to hear some tough words. Verse 2, Jesus says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete 
in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it. Repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, my goal throughout this series hasn't been to dissect every word or every phrase that's contained within these letters. My goal has been to um, unpack the major thought, if you will, of the letter. In this case, the, the major thought is that this church was, was dead or it was dying. And the question that I dealt with last week was, what happened? What, you know, what, what, what was the cause of, of death? How did it die? What, what caused this church to die? What causes, you know, any church to die? I've, I've been in this town my whole life. Been here almost 30 years. Uh, there are a lot of churches in our community that died. They're, they're not here anymore. They're empty buildings now. Something else is going on in them. The owner of the building now has got a shoe store in it. What causes churches to die? That, that was my, my, my thought. Okay. And what I did last week was I pretended like I was a medical examiner. For those of you that are old enough, remember Quincy. And, and I, I, I kind of did an autopsy on this church because I wanted to figure out what, what it was that killed it. Because if I can figure out what killed that church, I, I can make sure it doesn't happen to us. I, I don't know when the Lord's coming back. I hope it's soon. I, I don't know when it's going to be. I know it's going to happen, but I don't know when. And if God should tarry his coming, there's no guarantee that this won't be an empty building at some moment. I'm sure all of the churches that are out there that are now dead and the buildings are empty, I don't think they ever thought, hey, this church is going to die. And so this autopsy that I I, I, I did was, was, was an important autopsy. We ought to know what it is that, 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 that killed this church. And so what I did last week was I shared with you uh, three things, three causes of death. Number one, the church at Sardis died because the people weren't feeding on the word of God. And this was probably the major cause of death, if you will. As I was doing the autopsy, as I was being Quincy, it was the word of God. They weren't feeding on the word of God. And then I told you, you die spiritually if you're not feeding on the word of God. Verse 3 says, remember, therefore, what you've received and heard and obey it. In other words, uh, this was a church that had received the word of God. They had heard the word of God. There were, there were people, apostles who had come and teachers that had come and had told them the word of God. They had the Old Testament. They had received it. I think there was a time when they were actually living it out. But obviously something happened. They had forgotten about the importance of the word of God, which is why Jesus is telling them to engage their brains and remember. And remember. Number two, the church at Sardis died because the people were messing around with sin. And I shared with you last week that we, we also die when we mess around with Sin. Verse 4 says, You have, Jesus says, You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. And that's just graphic, isn't it? The imagery of, of, your, of your clothes being soiled. A lot of people in this church look good from the outside. They, they looked like they were living, you know, God-honoring lives, but inside they were a mess. They were just a sinful mess. They had soiled their clothes. I shared with you last week what our brother James said about pure Christianity. 
He said if you, you just kind of boil it all down, he, he said pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world um, corrupt you. And by the way, that is James's um, um, commentary on the greatest commandment. Jesus said the greatest thing you can do with your life is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, and to love others. That's exactly what James is saying here. Here's Christianity at its core, is that you love others, you care about others, and he uses orphans and widows, and that you make sure that you don't let the world corrupt you. That's how you love the Lord. That's how you truly love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength. God said this through our brother Peter, he said, dear friends, since you are waiting for this to happen, waiting for the return of the Lord, do your best to be without sin and without fault. And obviously we as believers, you know, by faith, we receive Jesus Christ into our lives and he cleanses us of our sin and positionally we're made holy and righteous with the Lord. But then there's this idea that we have to put some work into this thing. We have, we have to try. We, we, we have to try to, uh, to, to live apart from sin. Now, we don't, no one's gonna do it perfectly. And we're, we're a church that, that, that understands that. But it seems like the church at Sardis um, didn't even try to not get messed up with sin. And when someone did get all goofed up with sin, uh, nobody was confronting the sin. One of the things, uh, one of the, um, it really is a crummy part of my job, um, but on some plane it's a, it's a good part, is that we're, we're constantly confronting sin here. There are times when the elder board gets together and we're bringing sinful things to our elders and sometimes our elders literally all write a letter and literally every elder signs the letter saying quit messing around with sin kind of a letter. Don't do that. God's got a better plan for your life. God's got a, this incredible thought for your life and you're, you're messing up your life because of the sin that you're living in. Whatever, you know, whatever that sin might, might be. That's a part of what we do. That wasn't happening in this church. Sin was just, everybody was just running rampant, doing whatever they want to do. And, and, and number three, the church at Sardis died because the people couldn't recognize their own spiritual condition. And you die, I die, when I can't recognize or discern my own spiritual condition. Verse one is so telling. He says, I know your deeds, that you have this reputation of being alive, but you're dead. This was a group of people that couldn't see the gap between what was right and what was wrong. They couldn't see the gap between living a righteous life and, and living a, a life of, of sin. They, they thought they had it all together. They thought they were nailing the, their walk with the Lord, so to speak. And they, they just couldn't discern where they were at. And when you can't discern where you're at spiritually, you're in trouble. <laughs> You're in big, big trouble. Lamentations chapter three says, let us examine our ways and test them. And the thought here is, is after you really spend some time looking at your own life, examining your own life, well, then you need to return to the Lord. There's gonna be some areas where you were just blinded to the fact that your flesh maybe had gotten the better of you. And so there's this idea that we, you know, God wants us to examine ourselves. He wants us to take a hard look at ourselves. He wants us to look at our lifestyles, the things that maybe we're kind of getting involved in. And for those of you that are business owners, that's something you need to do often. You, you, you can get going and working and doing your thing, and all of a sudden you begin to uh, drift a little bit from what God's word has to say. And now all of a sudden, you're running your, your business in a way that doesn't honor the Lord. And you have to be careful when you examine yourself. Examine how I'm running my life, I'm running my family. How, how am I doing, you know, as, I, as it relates to all those, those kinds of things. So, so this church was dying or dead because number one, the word of God was no longer the source of life for them. Number two, they weren't dealing with their sin and 
And number three, they couldn't recognize the gaps in their lives. And I ended last week um, by giving everybody just one thought. It was very quick at the end, two words as to how you could make sure that, you know, you don't die spiritually or how you can make sure your family doesn't die spiritually or how we may not die spiritually. And those two words were just simply the two words that you find in verse two. Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. And let me just tell you, all of us, I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord, I don't care how spiritual you think you are, those two words are important words for all of us. When I'm asleep, um, all kinds of things can happen to me that I'm not aware of. All kinds of things can happen around me that I'm not aware of. You see, when you're asleep, all kinds of stuff goes down you don't, that you don't know about. And the same thing is true in your spiritual life, so to speak. These people weren't asleep physically. Jesus isn't telling them to wake up physically. He's telling them to wake up spiritually. Because when you're asleep spiritually, all kinds of crummy things can happen to you that you're unaware of. All kinds of crummy things can happen around you, in your family, in your businesses, in your neighborhoods, in our country, that are just crummy. And Jesus says, wake up. And he's not saying wake up physically. He's saying wake up spiritually. There's stuff that's happening in your life that's not good. There's stuff that's happening around you that's not good. There's stuff that's happening in your families that aren't good, in your churches that aren't good, in your town that isn't good, in our country that's not good. Wake up. Because when you're awake, now you can do something, you see. When I get up out of bed, I'm ready. Okay, what's going on? What happened? What's going on? We have an alarm system <laughs> at our house. And every so often it'll go off, especially like when it's windy out. And it'll, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning. And I'm, you know, I got drool coming off my mouth. I'm, I'm in la la land. And all of a sudden, wheel, wheel, wheel. I'm in the alarm. Whoa! I'm up, man. I'm reaching for a gun, a knife, a bat, anything I can get my hands on. Something's happening. And I'm awake now. What's going down? Is someone in my house? Is something going on? Is someone gonna you know, steal my, my flat screen? Because I'll defend that thing to the end. You can take anything you want, just don't go out to my flat screen. I have to go back to that chintzy little thing I got in my other room. Well, that's what, that's what Jesus is trying to tell us, I think. Wake up! There's stuff happening in your life. There's stuff going on in the family. There's crummy stuff happening in our country. And Christian, you gotta wake up. You gotta wake up. Listen, everything is connected to your walk with Jesus. If it's dead, look, if your walk with Jesus is dead, you'll never experience the joy that Jesus wants you to have. You'll never experience the, the peace that Jesus wants you to have. You'll never experience the contentment that Jesus wants you to have. You'll never experience the life that Jesus wants you to have. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. This is what the devil wants to do. This is what the demons want to do. This is what false teachers want to do. They just want to kill the, the life that Jesus has for you. They want to rob you of the joy and the, and, and the contentment that, that Jesus has for you. But Jesus said, my purpose is, is to give them, that's you, a rich and satisfying life. That's what Jesus wants to do. But so often, even as Christians, we can bite at, you know, this lure that the enemy puts out there, and we think that it's going to bring us joy and happiness and all the stuff, and and it just, it just doesn't. But here's the deal. This rich and satisfying life just, just doesn't happen automatically. Right? Just because you receive Christ into your life and you say, Jesus, man, my sin has goofed up my relationship with the Father. 
Jesus, come into my life. Uh, cleanse me of my sin. I give my life over to you. You, you can now be the, the, the general manager of my life. I give control of my life over to you. It doesn't mean that you'll experience this rich and satisfying life. It doesn't happen automatically. In other words, you can be a, a Christian and not experience this, this life that Jesus came to give you. In fact, I meet Christians every day that are missing out on this life. Some of you in here, over in the venue, watching online, listening on the radio. You, you, you're a follower of Jesus. You, you've given your life to Christ, but you know what? You're thinking to yourself right now, I'm not experiencing that life. I'm not experiencing that rich and satisfying life that Jesus came to, to give me. And I want you to know, it's a sad commentary. Because that's what Jesus wants you to have. He wants you to have an incredible life, a life that would just blow you away. So, 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 so here's the day. Here's the deal. If you're here and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I think I'm a lot like that church. I'm dead spiritually. Or I feel like I'm dying. You came to the right place. <laughs> this is a good day for you. Because though that was written 2,000 years ago to a group of Christ followers, you know, over in Asia Minor, it's still applicable to us today, not only as a church, but to you as an individual. And what I want to do is just kind of unpack a, a, a few thoughts as to how you might um, um, come alive again. You, you see, the God revealed in this book is an expert at resurrecting things. And if you're here and your life is dead, today, if you just listen, just focus for a few minutes, I guarantee you he can resurrect your dead spiritual life if you just do a couple things. And I talked about most of them last week, but I want to unpack them to a greater degree. N number one, you need to wake up and just begin to feed on the word of God. And as I said, I talked about this last week, but I'm going to talk about it again because this is where it all begins. Beloved, if, if your spiritual life is dead right now, the greatest way to resurrect is by getting into the Word of God, feeding on the Word of God, read the Word of God, uh, study the Word of God, memorize the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God, live out the Word of God. The, the more you get the Word of God into your life, the more of God's life you'll experience. That, that, that rich and satisfying life that God has for you. The more you're getting this into your life, the more God's life is going to get into, into you. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Christian, if you want to a life full of purpose, if you want a life full of energy, if you want a life full of motivation, if you want a, a life that's full of joy and peace and contentment, if you want this rich and satisfying life, if you want a life that you'd be proud to have your children duplicate, Jesus said, focus your life on God. Make the, the kingdom of God your primary concern. And beloved, the only way you can truly make the, you know, the, 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 the kingdom of God a priority in your life is you have to make the word of God a priority in your life. They go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. Think about this. When you seek after God's kingdom, you're saying, God, I surrender myself to your will. I surrender myself to your priorities, to use maybe a modern word. Well, you can't surrender your will to his will or your priorities to his priorities if you don't know what his will is and you don't know what his priorities are. It's impossible to say, God, I'm going to seek you first. I'm seeking your kingdom above all else. Now, I'm not going to get into the word of God. I'm not going to feed on the word of God. But I, I, you can't do that. It's impossible. Seeking the, the kingdom of God Seeking the will of God, the priorities of God. 
for your life, your family's life, your business's life goes hand in hand with God's word. You can't separate the two of them. Beloved, God uses your time in his word to transform your life, to transform your thinking, to transform your priorities. He uses your time in his word to bring life to your soul. And in some cases, for some of you, to resurrect your soul, so to speak. Proverbs chapter 15 says this. A wise person is hungry for truth, while the fool feeds on trash. Let me ask you a question. Which one are you? Are you a person that's hungry for truth? Or are you a person that tends to just feed on trash? That's a great question to ponder. It really is. I understand why those of you who are here and, and um, you don't really want to be here. <laughs> Maybe, you know, uh, a friend brought you, your mom brought you. We always know people in a church this size are here who don't want to be here because you can see the skid marks all the way in the door. Um, I know, I put a lot of skid marks down at First Baptist, Modesto. I put a lot of skid marks at Modesto Covenant. But when you got a, a girlfriend you like, guess what, man? You'll even gut out church, man. <laughs> Listen to me. I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe the Lord is drawing you. And you're here. And it's one of the few times that you're getting, you're getting some truth. Let me give you another question. Which of these two things, truth or trash, do you think is going to bring life to your soul? Which of these two things, truth or trash, will resurrect your dead soul? Look at Truth is something you have to, you know, go out and find. You have to go after it. It takes some effort to find truth. You have to be committed to finding truth. Trash, on the other hand, just gets dumped on you all day long, right? You don't have to go looking for trash. It's everywhere. It just gets dumped on you. It's the big difference between truth and trash. Drive down McHenry Avenue, look at all the billboards. Trash, trash, trash. This is getting dumped on you. Go out to the mall and look at the, the, the window displays. Trash, trash, trash. It's just getting dumped on you. Turn on your television set on any given moment. Trash, trash, trash. It's just getting dumped on you all the time. Listen to the music that's out there. Trash, trash, trash. It's just getting dumped on you all the time. You turn on your computer, you click on a link. I've never had somebody surprise me with a verse. You always click on it and it's trash. Man, trash has a way of just finding you out. Just gets dumped on you all the time. Truth, on the other hand, whoop. Yeah, this takes a commitment. In fact, we're living in a world that's trying to get rid of this thing, man. Hey, if you're a public school teacher, don't you dare bring this thing in your classroom. You can bring anything you want in that classroom. You can bring any book you want. Just don't bring this one. Truth is something you have to go after. In fact, Listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 2. He said, listen carefully to wisdom. Set your mind on understanding. Cry out for wisdom and beg for understanding. Search for it like silver and hunt for it like hidden treasure. Then you will understand respect for the Lord and you'll find that you know God. Solomon said, you have to listen carefully. You have to set your mind. You have to cry out. You have to beg. You have to search. You have to hunt. Look, being a, a, a man of truth or a woman of truth just doesn't happen. <laughs> it takes some energy. It takes some juice. To be a person that truly feeds on the word of God takes some effort. I wish it was an easy thing. Isn't it weird how when you come to church... You woke up this morning, 
If uh, you were home right now watching, you know, a football game, bam, you're in it. Whoa, give me coffee, go, give me my chips, screaming, yelling. You come to church and your flesh is just, oh, man, oh, man. I need a nap, right? But, man, you watch a football game, a baseball game, something like that. Oh, man, you know, a friend invites you to come to our men's Bible study. Well, what time is it? What? Oh, dude, I can't get up that early. But if that same buddy called you and said, hey, listen, man, I got a, a tea time. Boom! You're up before the alarm goes off. You're ready to go, right? The Bible says that your flesh is diametrically opposed to the things that are spiritual. Look, I can go into a meeting and I can go hear a great preacher. I can go to a conference and guess what my flesh does? And then, then, I, then I just act like I'm praying. <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's, someone just hold my hand up. <laughs> Amen. Amen, brother. Amen. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm praying in the spirit. Just. Isn't it weird? Truth. Tr- truth doesn't come easy. And what I want to do is, I, I want to give you just a, a couple of things that you might, um, this is the practical piece of the message, a couple investments in truth that you might make. Okay, just, just a couple things. Number one, why don't you take five or ten minutes at the beginning of the day and just read five or ten verses out of the Bible. You don't have to read a whole book of the Bible. Well, I got a friend who reads, you know, Proverbs chapter one, you know, all the whole chapter. I'm not asking you to read the whole chapter. Just, just how about five verses? Do that. How about before lunch or dinner, you're at work or whatever, this is going to sound sacrilegious to some of you, blasphemous to some of you. Instead of praying the same prayer you always pray, Lord, thank you for this food, rub-a-dub-dub, bless this grub. Instead of doing that, stop and open your Bible and why don't you read five verses? Something fresh, something new. You you can do that just before you eat your sandwich, your Subway, whatever it is, just I just read five verses. And then enjoy your meal. You had a little spiritual meal. You fed on the word of God. And now move into the physical meal. How about take the daily meditation page and actually do it? I know some guys at work, one of my dear friends, takes that daily meditation page that we print for you, goes right along with the message, and he puts it on his desk. And the first thing he does when he gets to his office every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he takes that daily meditation page, and he feeds on the word of God. You can do that. How about make a a real commitment to be here each weekend? There's something powerful about the family of God coming together. How about getting involved in our men's ministries, our women's ministries? Those are places where the word of God reigns supreme. It's another place to get a, a spiritual meal, if you will. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so this is a church that, you know, pick something. You you, you pick something, and I guarantee you there's going to come a moment after maybe some fellowship, maybe eating some food or singing a song, we're going to get into the Word of God. Right now, all of our children's ministries, it doesn't matter what age bracket you're in, we're we're going to give people a meal a spiritual meal. So let's say number one out loud uh, together, okay? Let, let's say number one out loud together. C- can we turn there on the jumbotron? G- give me number one. You got number one up there? Here we go, here we go, out loud. Over in the venue, here we go. Wake up and feed on the word of God. Number two, wake up and begin to obey the word of God. Jesus says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in my sight. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. And then he says, obey it. You see, it's possible to know the word of God really well, and yet your life never changes. I know a lot of people like that. 
I know a lot of people who can rattle off, you know, all the books of the Bible. They can rattle off all the great doctrines of the Bible. They, 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 can, they can rattle off whole chapters of the Bible that they've got memorized. But they're, they're as dead as a doornail spiritually. They're just useless for the kingdom of God. Useless. Because they're not obeying the word. They're not obeying what they've read. They're not putting it into to, to practice. James said this, our brother. He says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do, and then you don't do it. If, if you know what you're supposed to do, you've been feeding on it, and you don't do it, it's sin. In other words, you, you can do nothing in sin, Sin is not just, you know, avoiding evil. Oh, man, I didn't do that. Woo, didn't do that. Sin can be when God tells you to do something and you don't do it. It's a no-brainer. The life that Jesus came to, to give you goes hand-in-hand hand with obedience to him and his word. L listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. He said a large, uh, the Bible says a large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and he said to this large crowd, and he's saying it to us right here, right now. If you want to be one of my disciples, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, boyfriends, girlfriends. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't saying that you can't love your father and your mother and all that. He's just saying it's got to be a lesser love. See, You see, loyalty to Jesus is a, a pretty big deal, isn't it? The, the first of the, the great Ten Commandments, you will have no other gods before me. The greatest commandment, you will love the Lord your God with everything you got. Now, I want to challenge you with, with, with something. I want, you to, uh, I want to challenge you to pick one thing that you might start doing today or this week that you know God wants you to do. One. And I've done this before, and I like doing this. I'm not asking you to do 30 things. Because for some of you, if I ask you to pick 30 things to do today, or the, you'd, ooh, you'd pass out. That's, that's overwhelming. I want to challenge everybody in this room to pick one thing that you would say, you know what, today, today, I'm going to start obeying the Word of God in this area. Just, just pick one thing that you would start doing this week. Just, just, just one thing. Everybody can pick one thing. Let me give you an example of maybe what a one thing might be. Uh, one thing might be, you know what, today or this week, I'm going to confess a sin that I'm struggling with to, to a brother or a sister in the Lord. You see, as long as you keep your sin in the darkness, you know, Satan can just eat you alive with it. Maybe, you know, if you're a guy, you go to a man. If you're a gal, you go to a woman. And you say, hey, I, I just need to confess this. I'm struggling with this sin. Just, just pick that one. Just that one thing. Or, how about pick this one. Forgive a person who, who, who hurts you. Maybe that person lives in another state or another country. Maybe today's the day you pick up the phone and you say, you know what, I've been thinking about this. Jesus Christ forgave me of all my sin, and it's time that I forgave you. Isn't it weird? We as human beings are so crazy. God forgives us of all our sin. But we ain't forgiven somebody else. Think that one through. God forgives us, but we'll hold on to something. Maybe that's the one thing you'll pick. How about this? Give up control of some circumstance in your life. Uh, hey, pastor, I'm doing number one. That, that, that one's pretty tough, isn't it? Giving up control. You? I mean, man, you're, you, you, you've got, you got straight A's when you were in school. You're, you got your PhD. 
you can't give up control. Man, if I give up control, whew, what's the Lord going to do? <laughs> He's in need of me. <laughs> How about give up some bad habit, you know, is goofing up your life and make a commitment to come down here on Tuesday nights to celebrate recovery? See, I know, I know that the Lord has spoken to some of you. And you got a problem with your anger, you got a problem with drinking, you got a problem with porn, you got a problem with something, it's just eating you alive. And you know you should come down here and be with some other brothers and sisters that are struggling with the same thing you're struggling with and get into a Bible study where you can kind of get that thing under control. You ought to be here on Tuesday nights, but you're not here. Maybe that's the one thing you pick. How about this one? Tell a friend that you're getting dangerously close to some woman who's not your wife. Done this a long time, and some of you, you don't know how close you are to wrecking your life, wrecking your family, wrecking it all. Maybe the one thing you pick is say, whoa, I'm going to go find my brother and say, hey, I've been having a little too friendly texting going on with somebody. Help me. Help me. Maybe that's the one thing. Um, how about serving somewhere here at Big Valley Grace? Why don't you pick that one? This next one, oh man, the flesh. Get ready, just buckle your seatbelt because the flesh hates this one. Start bringing an offering to God. Uh, see, I knew it. All the church cares about is money. You enjoy the chairs? Aren't you glad someone paid for those chairs? You enjoy the jumbotrons, the music, you enjoy all the stuff. You enjoy the fact that we got an air conditioner going around? You enjoy all the stuff, but boy, that back pocket of yours, woohoo! You're not giving up anything, are you? Not you. And the flesh starts giving you all kinds of crazy thoughts. Maybe that's the one thing you say, I'm going to start obeying the Lord in. How about share your faith with someone you work with this week? How about this one? How about asking your spouse for forgiveness and then, loving, then love them the way that Jesus loves you? Maybe that's the one thing. How about memorize one verse of God's word this week? You know, hide it in your heart. Maybe that's the one thing. How about join in a, a small group? That might be the one thing. Maybe the one thing is, is to say, you know, I'm going to get up a few minutes early, set my alarm, quit hitting the snooze button, and enjoy a cup of coffee, my tea, and just get into the word of God. Maybe that's the one thing. I'm not asking you to pick 10 things or 20 things or 30 things. I want to challenge you, if this is your church, you're a follower of Jesus Christ to pick one thing, one thing. And all of us in this room can pick one thing. I don't care whether you just gave your life to Christ last week or you've been walking with God as long as Bob Wheeler. We all can pick one thing that we know. You know what? This is something I believe God would have me to do with my life. So let's say these uh, first two things out loud together. Okay, here we go. Number one. Wake up and feed on the Word of God. Number two, wake up and obey the Word of God. Now, that brings us right to number three. Number two and number three kind of go hand in hand together. You need to wake up and confess your disobedience to the Word of God. This is an important part. Yes, you need to start doing the Word of God, but you need to confess your disobedience. Uh, Jesus says in verse three, remember therefore what you've received and, and heard, obey it. And then he uses this word and repent. Repent. Mom, dad, let me ask you a question. Do you like it when your children disobey you? No. When your children disobey you, does it come with some sort of discipline? <laughs> yeah. Well, God's no different than you. He doesn't like it when his children are disobedient. Any more than, I don't like it when my children are disobedient. And when my children are disobedient, it, it comes with a consequence. I love them and I care about them. I want the best for them. And because I want the best for them, th th there's a consequence. Hebrews chapter 12 says, my, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. There are times when I have disciplined my children and 
they'll go into their rooms or whatever it is, and I, I know that, that they, they kind of want to give up. It's no fun to be disciplined by your parent. And so there's that moment where you come back in and you give them that, it's really a lie. That, that just hurt me more than hurt you. <laughs> but I do it too. <laughs> I say it. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Well, then don't do it. <laughs> but you got to come back in and encourage them. And say, listen, what I just did, the punishment you just received, wasn't because I don't love you or I don't care about you. It's because I do love you and I do care about you and I want God's best for you. And what you were doing and what you were involved in wasn't God's best. And God looks down at us, his children. We may be in our 50s, we may be in our 60s, we may be in our teens or whatever it is, but we're still his children. And he says, oh, man, I've got a life for you that's rich and satisfying and you're going down some crummy path. And so he disciplines us. And that discipline ought to bring us to uh, repentance, confession. Listen to what God said through the great prophet Jeremiah. In chapter 5, he says, Make this announcement to Israel and say this to Judah. Listen, you foolish and senseless people, with eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. Have you no respect for me? Why don't you tremble in my presence? I, the Lord, define the ocean's sandy shoreline as an everlasting boundary that the waters cannot cross. The waves may toss and roar, but they can never pass the boundaries that I set. But my people have stubborn, stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned away and they've abandoned me. They do not say from their heart, let us live in awe of the Lord, our God, for he gives us rain each spring and fall, assuring us that we'll have a harvest when the time is right. And then God says, your wickedness has deprived you of all these wonderful things. Your sin has robbed you of all these good things. And one of those wonderful things that wickedness or your sin will deprive you of is this life that Jesus came to give you. Even as a Christian, yeah, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you're going to go to heaven and all that. But this side of glory, you'll never experience that incredible life that Jesus came to give you. You can actually be dead spiritually to some degree. Sin is an ugly thing. In fact, the Bible says that we as believers are called to hate sin. We're called to flee from sin, purge our lives of sin, avoid sin, confront people in sin, and confess our sin. Dealing with sin is one of the major themes of this book. Almost from, well, from Genesis chapter 3 on, one of the major themes of this book has to do with sin. Hating it, purging our lives of it, avoiding it, confronting it, people that are in it, and Obviously, confessing our own sin. In Titus chapter 2, it says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. But this side of heaven, you know, turning from sin can be a difficult thing. And we here at Big Valley Grace understand that. We understand that you can love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, and the flesh is a powerful thing. The spirit within you, as Jesus said, is willing, but the flesh is, is just weak at times. And, and yes, we confront sin, but we also have incredible ministries here where we say, look, we understand that sin has just got a hold of you like a chihuahua. <laughs> And you just can't shake the thing. So let us help you. Let us come alongside of you. And let us help you get your eyes on the Lord and tap into the the greatest power source known to mankind, the, the Holy Spirit within you. And we'll care about you and love you and walk through this sin that's got you by the ankle Now, the good news is that the Bible does give us a lot of really good thoughts on how you and I can better overcome sin, and I want to just end by by giving you one of the the great motivating thoughts in Scripture. I think this is one thing that will really help you 
deal with this idea of sin in, in your life and just confessing it and, and maybe staying away from it. And that's this. Remember what your sin did to Jesus. It cost him his life. Our brother Peter said this, so then since Christ suffered physical pain, one version says, since Christ suffered in his body, beloved, Jesus Christ suffered to the point of death, a brutal death, a, a heinous death, a humiliating death, a death on a cross. Why? Because of my sin. The perfect, holy, righteous Son of God, the, the second person of the Holy Trinity, came and suffered in his body because of my sin. And that's one of those great thoughts that I keep in the forefronts of my mind. You see, I, I, I realize that 1 John 1, 9 is one of the verses that most Christians, probably every Christian gets memorized in a hurry. If we confess our sins, right, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us all from all unrighteousness. Thank the Lord for 1 John 1, 9, right? I think the problem is too many times that's our favorite verse. And we keep that one tucked in our pocket. Whip that one out all the time. I would rather not have to whip that verse out. I would rather live a life where I don't have to whip that, that passage out very often, that promise out very often. Now God will forgive you of my sin. Now I'm human. And just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't blow it. I don't always love the way Jesus wants me to love. I don't always show compassion the way Jesus wants me to show compassion. I don't always treat others the way that I'd want to be treated. Trust me, your pastor struggles with sinful things. And 1 John 1.9 is a beautiful verse that I'm thankful is in the scriptures. But one of the things I try to do is say, God, I don't want to have to whip that verse out. Because I know what it, what it cost for that verse to be there. And that was the death of your son. And I just kind of keep that, that thought in the forefront of my mind. And it's a great motivator for, for, for me. So let's all stand up. Over in the venue, I want you to stand up, okay? Everybody, if you're at home, I don't know, stand up. And... Uh, I want us to say these three things out loud together, all right? Here we go. Number one, wake up and feed on the word of God. Number two, wake up and obey the word of God. And number three, wake up and confess your disobedience to the word of God. Now listen to me, listen. I guarantee you, guarantee it. That if you're here and you're going, you know what, my, my walk with the Lord is just dead. You wake up and begin to do these three things right here. You will see your soul begin to uh, come to life again. If you're getting into God's word and you're obeying God's word and you're confessing the sin and the junk in your life, I want you to know something, your soul will come back to life. These are the things that we as a church need to, need to stay at. And there's a lot of people out there that say a lot of crummy things about this church, about me. But I want you to know something. I know this is a church that, that loves to feed on the word of God. You love to obey the word of God. And I know that this is a church that is quick to confess our disobedience to the word of God. We, we understand we don't all do it right. And we need to pray that that stays the truth about this church. Why don't you close your eyes here over in the venue. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, these interesting letters that were written to these churches. And they're 2,000 years old. But wow, they're so applicable to us today. And Father, if there be one soul here who has never given their life to Jesus Christ, they, they literally are just dead. Maybe today is the day they give their life to Jesus. 
Lord, if there'd be a follower of yours that's here that isn't experiencing this rich and satisfying life that you came to give, maybe today is the day that they would begin to implement these three things in their life. And while your eyes are closed, whether you're over in the venue or in here, we have a room called the altar room where the elders of the church, the pastors, the spiritual leaders of our church are there. And you're here and you'd love for us to pray for you and go in there. Maybe you have sensed that God has wanted you to go in there and take your wife or take your husband or take your children and just say, would you pray a blessing over me and my family? Maybe that's the one thing that you would do today. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, go in there. Often people go in and give their life to Jesus. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe give you your first Bible. You take advantage of that room called the altar room. And so, Lord, um, I look forward to being with my family here in a few hours out on that ball diamond, fellowshipping with them, being with them, laughing with them. Father, thanks for your goodness, and I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you. Live for Jesus Christ, okay?